How's everybody tonight? Fine. My name is Wesley, and I am an alcoholic. I'm going to work. If y'all will pardon me, I'm going to take my sweater off. Can we open the meeting, please, with a moment of silent meditation followed by the serenity prayer? But to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Last night over Jackson Hall, uh, Jackson Lodge, we talked about the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I went through the 12 steps. As I, these are my what I have found in these books. AA Comes of Age, 12 and 12, and the big book of AA. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand this, but I had an old AA book that was coming apart, and I, and I took the first 164 pages out of it, and that's my big book for traveling. <laughs> that's the AA program. That's the first 164 pages of the big book. And... Uh, so these three books here are the basics of the AA program. And if you take these three books here and study these three books, well, you, you will find out exactly what this program is all about. You have to communicate with the program. Commun- and as I said last night, communication is the start of all understanding. And if you want to understand the program, you have to communicate with the program. And the program is in the big book, 12 and 12, and AA comes of age. It's all right there. I was I was telling uh, somebody a while ago that you can't, as far as I as I'm concerned, you cannot get the truth from me. And it's the reason why you can't get the truth from me about the AA program. The only place that you can find the truth about the AA program is in these books, because my big book tells me that this is a program of progress, not perfection, a spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection. And so, therefore, it makes no difference how long I'm in age. When I talk to you, I talk to you and, and give you my opinions. An opinion is related to an idea. It's not necessarily a fact. Now, we're searching for the truth in this program. And the more that I change my opinions, that I find to be a little bit more truth. And as I change these opinions, this is when I show progress in this program. You might ask me a question today, and I might answer it. And you might ask me the same question six months from now, and I might give you an altogether different answer because I found out that a little bit more about the truth of the thing. And you will immediately say, well, I'm not going to that son of a bitch anymore. He won't won't tell you the truth, you know. (laughs) You won't give me the right to have my own opinion. Because, you see, I don't care how long you're in AA. You have to grow in this program. You have to grow. You've got to continue staying green. you got to grow or you got to go, one of the two. There's no such thing as standing still. And you have to work at this program. And I don't know but one place you can find the truth out about this program, and it's in these three books. I, since I've been in AA, there's been, I think, two changes in the big book of any importance. One was in the, in the 12th step. It used to say that we had a spiritual experience. Today it says we have a spiritual awakening, which is a very minute thing. And the other change was in the third tradition, where it says that we uh, uh, that the only requirement was an honest desire to stop drinking, and they took out the word honest. 
Those are only two major things that I've ever saw change in the big book. But by the same token, we've had a million alcoholics come through AA, and I don't know of a one, including me, that hadn't tried to change the big book, <laughs> use their own interpretation of it. The big book is a perfect solution to alcoholism. It's laid out in such a way that if you ever want the interpretation of the 12 steps, it's there. You take the, the, uh, the chapter, uh, there is solution. In my opinion, that is the first half of the first step. It describes the first half of the first step and tells you exactly all about it. Then we get to the next uh, chapter in the big book. It says more about alcoholism. And that deals with the second half of the first step. And that is truly the foundation of this program because Bill Wilson said, the night that he wrote the 12 steps, he said, we have found out one thing. If a person does not take the first step, he will get nowhere in this program. And so, therefore, the first two steps of a, a, a chapters in the big book tells us all about the first step. About our powerless over alcohol and about our unmanageable lives. And then we go to the, the second step and we find the answer to that in we agnostics. It tells us exactly about the second step. And then we go to the third step, and it lays out the third step absolutely completely. In chapter 5, right after how it works, that we read at every meeting, it says, Now we at step 3. And it describes and gives you the interpretation of step 3. It goes on a little further, and it says, Now we at step 4. It tells you exactly how to take an inventory. And then a little further, it says, Now we at step 5. And it tells you exactly how to take, take step five. It goes a little farther and you get to six and seven. Well, as several said tonight, Bill didn't know much about shortcomings or, or character defects. He didn't think there's much difference between either one of them. Well, it's very little in the big book about, about uh, step six and seven. But by the same token, 15 years later... He had done a little correspondence with a psychiatrist by the name of Dr. Jung over in, I think, in France or England. And a little correspondence straightened him out on these two things. And he, he has a complete report in it 15 years later in, eight, in 12 and 12. You'll find out all about 6 and 7 in 12 and 12. And then it goes on a little farther. says, now we're step 8. And it goes on a little farther. says, now we're step 9, 10, 11, and 12. If you're afraid to make a 12-step call, and it tells you exactly how to make a 12-step call. Working with others. It tells you exactly what to do. So, you see, Bill left us a program. And he, tells, and he lays it out for us. And if we will communicate with the program, we will understand the program. And only through this communication will we understand it. Last night, I was talking to you about the 12 steps working up to the, to the 12 traditions. It is my opinion that the 12 traditions is a, is, a, is a continuation of the 12 steps in the process of deflation. And the reason I say that is that on page 136 in the Eight Comes of Age, it says, um, I really want the 12 traditions for myself as well as AA as a whole. Therefore, each of our 12 traditions is really an expression 
of the deflation that each of, each of us has to make. The deflation that each of us have to make. Well, last night I told you that the 12 steps were so laid out that they put us through a deflation at depth and ridding ourselves of our greatest enemy, ourselves. Removing self, selfishness and self-centeredness, which is giving us all this trouble. When we remove that, we remove our self-efficiency, we remove our self-justification. When we get stuff out of the way, when we deflate ourselves, and through this deflation we have a spiritual awakening. Therefore we get away from ourselves, and we put our minds on, on God and our fellow man. We receive a God conscience. And this is what the 12 steps did for me. And I, I, reached, I reached the age of AA, uh, I would say I was in my seventh or eighth year. And, and I think, and I've heard Bill Wilson say that seven to eight years is, is a dangerous part of this program because this is where we have tasted the, the fruits of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. This is where we, have, we, have, we are getting into the benefits of this program. Uh, we, we start off in AA in a state of bondage. We have a bondage of alcohol, and we have a bondage of self. And we eliminate the bondage of alcohol through the first step, through the first half of the first step, and then we start working on the bondage of self through the next 11 and a half steps. And from this, from this bondage, as we work on it, the first thing we receive is faith. We receive faith from, 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 the, from the second and third steps. And from this faith, we, 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 just, we get something that's very important for us because we have to really start looking at ourselves just the way we are. And so therefore we need courage. And we get courage through the grace of God through, through the third step. We turn our life and our will over to care of him. And we find out that there's nothing on this earth big enough to hurt us as long as we have God on our side. We, we find out that God can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And we start feeling this courage, and, and we start reading the fourth step, and we find out that we want to take the first step, because you see, through our faith in God, we have eliminated our greatest enemy, and that's fear, interference. And only you and I know that we've got it. Because AA has taught me that fear is an absence of faith, and faith is the absence of fear. If I have faith in God, I have no fear. If I have fear, I have no faith in God. And for me to take the fourth step, I have to have faith in God, a power greater than myself called God. For the simple reason, the fourth step says that we have to be fearless. And the word fearless means without fear. I have, for the first time in my life, looked at myself exactly the way I am, not the way that I pretend to be. All my life, I pretended to be something that I wasn't. And it took courage to look at me like this. To bisect myself and look myself right, right straight at myself and not turn my head. It's not the one fellow in in, that I've ever heard in that he described me after I took the fourth step. And that was old Howard Benhoff of Cleveland, Ohio. How many of y'all knew Howard? Oh, look at that. Howard was a great man. And Howard used to say, if you remember, he used to say, when I took the fourth step, I found out that I had gangrene of the soul. That's what I had. 
But I didn't turn my head. I looked at it. Because, you see, I had the courage to look at it. Because I was searching for something then and trying to acquire something that, that I wanted. I wanted to be free. I wanted to be free of this, of this condition. I wanted to get well. And so, therefore, I started and became willing to, to, to head toward this freedom. And how I got this freedom was through, was through house cleaning. You see, somewhere in the big book, I said it last night, it says about on page 90, it says, brand on every man's mind that he can stay sober regardless of anyone. The only thing he has to do is trust God and clean house. You have to trust God so you will have courage to start cleaning house. And when you trust God, get rid of fear, write down your force, your inventory, and feel the point of freedom that you have then you are willing to go right into the fifth step of Alcoholics Anonymous because you want to be free. And I don't know of anything, I don't know of anything that made me feel any better than just being free of my old alcoholic self. Just that freedom. If anyone should understand freedom, it's an alcoholic who is rid of that old alcoholic personality, that lying, cheating, stealing, dishonesty. And from this freedom, I started to get an abundance of this program. Abundance. This, this program started giving me everything. I got in tune with the world because I was willing to change my attitude. I found out that I, that I was the one out of tune with the world. The world wasn't out in tune with me. I was out of tune with the world. And I started looking at, ro- at, the, at, the, at the world through rose-colored glasses. And, and the world started being good to me. And they started giving me the things that I always wanted. It gave me spiritual abundance and it gave me material abundance. And I started getting the, the benefits of this, this program and the promises that the big book promises me. It's a hundred of them in this book. And I've received every one of them. Well, you know, this is a very dangerous time. You know, I started... I started getting this material abundance, and I started getting this spiritual abundance, and and uh, first thing you know, well, I wasn't particularly satisfied with what God was doing for me. I started feeling like, well, I better start doing more for my family. I wasn't getting ahead enough. I was getting too old too fast, and I and I'd wasted a lot of my time, and 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 I didn't have enough money to retire on, and I better start making a little extra, so I'd better work a little harder. So by, by the time it came time for me to retire, I'd have what it took. And I wanted to buy my family things that, that over and beyond what they expected of me. I wanted them to only have the best because look what I did to them. And the first thing I know, my material things be- started becoming more important to me than my spiritual things came. You see, I was in the apex of this thing, and I didn't know that this is where you have to work the hardest. I didn't know that that you could that, that which was most important, the spiritual things or the material things in life, in the pursuit of happiness. I didn't know. I don't know today which is the most important. And I won't say which is the most important in the pursuit of happiness. I don't think one is more paramount than the other. 
But I don't think that we should get off balance with them. I think one should be just as important as the other as far as our living is concerned. And to keep these things balanced, you have to work awful hard to keep them balanced because I got them imbalanced. In other words, I have started leaning more toward the material things of life and getting less with the spiritual things. In other words, I, I started becoming selfish again. And I started losing what I had acquired in AA. And the first thing I did, I started getting complacent. I'd say to myself, well, I'm not going to my AA meeting tonight. Uh, Joe Blow called me today and he wants me to come out and, and show him a, a few items I'm selling and he wants to buy them for me and the nice AA night, but I've been wanting to go over here to this meeting, uh, which is on tomorrow night and I'll go on out here tonight and make this extra hundred dollars and I'll go to this other meeting tomorrow night because I've been wanting to see those people out there. You know, just, uh, self-justification. Not, forgetting about my group and so I go out and I make this hundred dollars and how sweet it is and I got so engrossed in making another hundred dollars I forgot to go to this meeting the next night and the first thing you know well a week had passed and I hadn't been to a meeting well I went back to my meeting on the regular meeting night a week after and you know persons not a member in that in that group said one word to me here I had been a steady going to that group every meeting night for years and I missed one meeting and nobody even thought and knew I was, I was gone. And I said, well, I'm not too important around here. I'll do this more often. <laughs> I'll do it more often. I'm going to turn this thing over to the newcomer, you know. And the first thing you know, well, I started looking at people. And I started taking credit for that, for the sobriety. I say, if it hadn't have been for me, you'd have never made it. Look what I've done for that guy, or that gal. And the first thing you know, I started taking credit for, for everything I did in Alcoholics Anonymous. And then I started to become in a state of apathy. I started to become indifferent. I became indifferent about whether I attended AA or not. I'd say, well, let the newcomer take over. I've run that thing long enough. I run it long enough. I'll go down there once a month and I'll sit on the back row and if the new members want a few pearls of wisdom, I'll give it to them and then leave. That's it. That's all I have to do. And so I went to a state of apathy and indifference. Indifference about whether I would attend the A meetings or not. And from there I didn't correct it, I went to dependency. That's the biggest mistake that you can make is start depending on yourself. Because, you see, if you're like me, I'm my worst enemy. My life is unmanageable. And so, therefore, I can't rely on myself. Because I messed up my life. And I still have an unmanageable life. And I started depending entirely upon myself. And when I did that, my ego went and my inflation went in full bloom. I said to myself, I don't know why I ever associated with that bunch of drunks anyway. I don't need them. What the heck? I've been kidding myself all this time about coming down here to these meetings. They can get along without me. Why should I mess around with them? I forgot about my sponsor. I forgot about my group. I forgot about my family. I forgot about everything. I forgot about my God. 
I forgot about everything but the big eye, me. Me. And through the grace of God, and that word grace means an unearned favor. Through an unearned favor, my sponsor grabbed me by the bootstraps one night, and he said, what the hell are you doing? I said, well, I'm making a money. I'm making a living. I'm trying to get even with the world. He said, well, man, you're an alcoholic. You've got an incurable disease called alcoholism. And you're going backwards. You're not going forward. And you're losing everything that you've, that you've gained, Wesley. You have, you've stopped making staying sober your biggest business. And he says, you better get back to AA. Because, you see, I was headed right back into bondage again. Well, I realized then, after he jumped me up by the bootstraps, what I was doing. And so I didn't know what to do about it. And so one night... I was looking through the grapevine, and I noticed in the calendar that there was a there was a uh, conference in Durham, North Carolina, and I decided that I would go to this conference. And so I told my wife, I said, I think I'll go to this AA conference in, in Durham, North Carolina, the first one I'd ever been to. I even thought about going. And she said, automatically, she said, well, if it'll do you any good, go, because I was carrying this stuff home with me, you know, <laughs> and I wasn't getting along too good there. So she says, uh, she says, if it'll do you any good, go. And so I packed my suitcase and left the next morning for Durham, North Carolina. Well, the first speaker I heard in Durham got up, and he used one word, and he just branded that word right between my eyes. And this word was intelligentsia. Intelligentsia. Dutch Whitley one time told me, he says, you don't pronounce it right. I says, hell, I can't spell it either. Don't make any difference. And so when I got back home from this from this conference, the only thing I remember about it was this one word, intelligentsia. And I I carried that word around with me, and it bothered me. And finally, one day, it, it dawned on me what this word meant. This word meant to me that I had become a damn know-it-all in Alcoholics Anonymous. I had learned everything that I needed to know in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I just didn't need Alcoholics Anonymous anymore. I had become an intelligentsia. I knew everything. And you see, I didn't know nothing. I had lost everything in this program. Well, I picked up that same grapevine, and I started reading the 12, the 12 steps on the, behind the first, first cover, uh, first cover of, the, of the grapevine. It's there every, every publication. And then I turned over the back automatically for some reason to the grace of God and on the back cover on the inside is the Twelve Traditions. And I read the Twelve Traditions. And I said to myself, I says, it's too bad I can't use the Twelve Traditions. It's too bad. That's for the group level. And I said, they must not be important anyway because we never say anything about them in my group. Any place you go, you hear the same thing. Well, we never talk about them in my group. Maybe in, in, in November we might, might write, read, them one, uh, read them one time to the group, but that's about all. They're, they're how we handle the group. And if our group gets all messed up, then, well, we'll finally say, after everything's about to split right down the middle, we'll say to ourselves, well, that's what does the 12 traditions say about it? Well, hell, that's too late, because the Republicans are on this side, and the Democrats are on this side, and it ain't nothing going to straighten them out. 
So I'm not making this what the Twelve Traditions say. And this is how my group used the Twelve Traditions. And so therefore, I thought they were no part of me. They would do me no good. Well, I started, I, I kept looking at them, and I said, well, there must be something to these Twelve Traditions. We have, we have a, a circle and with a triangle. The base is recovering. This side is, is unity, and this side are the Twelve Traditions. This side is service. They must mean something. And I said, well, now they're, they're written at the group level. And I looked over the 12 steps. I said, well, the 12 steps are written at the we level. And I said to myself, well, what's the difference between we and a group? That's a good question. What is the difference between we and a group? We is a plural and group is a group. And finally, I turned over to the law farm in, in the, uh, of the traditions, and I found out that any time two... Two or three alcoholics got together for the purpose of discussing that disease of alcoholism with no other affiliation that they could consider themselves a group. <laughs> and it dawned on me that the 12 steps was written at the we level and, and two or more people would make up a group. Well, it took two people to make up we and it took two people to make up a group. So there's no difference between we and a group just that simple. And I said, well, I never have practiced the 12 steps at the, at, I mean, at the we level. I've always practiced the 12 steps at the I level. You and I do it together, yes. But I have my interpretation and you have your interpretation. And so I said, why should I, uh, why, uh, what will keep me sober won't keep you sober. And so therefore I've got to practice the 12 steps at the I level. I've got to have my interpretation of them, not your interpretation. And I said, why can't I use the same thing with the 12 traditions? Why can't I use the I-level interpretation of the 12 traditions along with my 12 steps in my everyday living? Maybe this is something I need. And I kept reading the 12 traditions. And finally I found out that the 12 traditions was talking about my relationship with my fellow man. And I found out that the 12 steps was my relationship with me. Know thyself. That's the only thing I learned in the 12 steps. And so I had only studied or applied one-third of the AA program to Wesley Parish in the first seven or eight years of my AA life. I had done nothing about living in unity with you. Nothing. I could care less about you. Everything I did was in a selfish motive, even when I made a 12-step call. AA, my sponsor told me, he said, you make 12-step calls. To, uh, if, you, if you don't make it, that's all right. You've benefited from it. So what? Everything I did was for my own personal self. You've heard all your, all your life in this program. This is a selfish program. Sure it's selfish. Because we do things to keep ourselves sober. We make 12-step calls working with other alcoholics. What we give away, we get more. And this is the way it is. And so I, uh, I started thinking about, well, if I want to be happy, it may be necessary for me to start thinking about my fellow man. And I said, I think I'll start using these 12 steps. I mean, these 12 traditions along with the 12 steps. And so I, uh, I started applying them to the best of my ability in, in my meek way. And I, changed, and I changed the reading of them, as far as I was concerned, to the eye level. Now, I'm not trying to change a program. I am trying to get more of this program because, you see, I had quit, as I told you last night. The 12 steps are laid out in such a way that when we follow these 12 steps, we have deflation at depth. 
Well, for us to continue on this deflation over and beyond the twelve steps, we have to go over into the twelve traditions, because twelve traditions is a continuation of the twelve steps in a way of life. If you're only living the uh, the twelve steps, you're only living one third of the program. And so, when I started looking at these steps and starting to plan them along with the twelve steps, things happened to me beyond my fondest dreams. And I got back in track with the AA program, and I've been in the track with the AA program ever since. I've been on that path that they talk about in, in how it works. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. You see, I had jumped off the path, and I had detoured. And I finally got back on the path with, with, with these traditions. Now, the first one says, I'm going to read them at the high level. It says, my common welfare comes first. My common welfare comes first. What is my common welfare? My common welfare is to stay sober. I am an alcoholic. I have an incurable disease called alcoholism. I can arrest it, but I can never cure it. It's got to be the number one thing in my life. I need the program of AA more tonight than I ever needed it. And it's always got to be that for me, because I am an alcoholic. And so it's got to be the number one thing. It's got to come before my wife, my children, my job, my business, or society. Because without me being sober, I am nothing. I am an alcoholic. And so that is my common welfare, is staying sober. Staying sober. Applying the program of Alcoholics Anonymous to Wesley Parish. My personal recovery depends upon AA unity. My personal recovery depends upon me living in unity with you. Not you living in unity with me. That ain't got anything to do with it. Uh-uh. I've got to live in unity with you whether you live in unity with me or not. I have to love you whether you love me or not. The greatest speech, uh, teacher on earth once says, What is it to love those who love you? That's nothing. But to love those who hate you is something. And this is the way it is. You know, now, if I want to lose what I've got tonight, I'm in this program of Alcoholics Anonymous to get the same thing out of it that I got out of the first drink of alcohol. I thought I was happy. I, I drank alcohol for the effects. I'm in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous tonight for the effects of, of the program. And for me to, to maintain these effects, I have to live in unity with you. If... Now, if I don't want to live in unity with you, well, you and I have a personality clash. We have words. I, I don't like you and you don't like me. Both of us have lost. Both of us have lost. It's not necessary for me to change you anymore. I have to accept you just the way you are, not the way that I want you to be. I love you just the way you are, 100%. I don't try to change people anymore. I can no more change you than you can change me. And so therefore, the happier I apply this and living in unity with you, the happier I am. And this is the way it works. Yes, I have to live in unity with you if I want to be happy. If I don't want to be happy, well, you and I get come to blows and so what? Who's won? I've lost what I'm trying to gain in Alcoholics Anonymous. You've lost what you've tried to gain in Alcoholics Anonymous. So I have to live in unity with you. I have, a, I have but one ultimate authority. 
a loving God, as he expresses himself in my conscience, a loving God. I found this loving God that I found in Alcoholics Anonymous the night I went to see a man and I said, can I go to an AA meeting with you? And he had great big blue eyes. And he looked at me and he says, you can go tomorrow night if you're sober. If you're sober. And he went on and he talked to me. And he expressed love toward me. For the first time in many, many moons, anybody expressed love toward me. And this, I believe, was what attracted me to this program. The Greeks call this akapai, the divine love of God. It's a love that's spontaneous, it's unlimited, and it's unmotivated. Did you not feel this type of love when you came down to Anonymous? It was spontaneous. Whenever you walked into that door or someone come in, if you were laying on that bed or sitting in your living room, in the condition that you was in, the moment that person walked in from Alcoholics Anonymous, spontaneously you knew that this man come to help you. And as he talked on it, 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 what he was trying to give you, it seemed to be unlimited to you. And you knew also that the way you looked and the way you felt and the way you had lived, it was nothing... There was nothing whatsoever of attraction as far as you were concerned. And so, it was something though about this man, a woman that came to see you. And this was the divine love of God in this individual that brought this program to you. It was spontaneous, it was unlimited, and it was unmotivated. And this is a loving God that I have found here. This is my ultimate authority in Alcoholics Anonymous, this loving God. He has done for me what I could not do for myself. And so therefore, I have to turn my life and my will over to care of him every day of my life. And I have to use him as my ultimate authority. If I don't, I'm in trouble every time I take my life back. It's just that way. I am but a trusted servant. I do not govern. You see, this is a statement of deflation. It's getting away from self. I'm not important anymore. Not me, uh uh-uh. It's just nothing about me that's important. It's my God as I work for him doing his labor. You know what I there's two words that I was always confused about in that it was the word thankful and grateful. It looked to me like everybody that used the two words, they seemed to be a, a synonymous. They meant the same thing and I I I knew they were different. But I could never find any definition of them that was satisfactory to me. And one day, by chance, just a few years back, I picked up a book. And I was reading it, and I come across the page where across the page it says, Thankful and Grateful. And I started reading this. And this man said that if when you're thankful for something is when you directly benefit from it. In other words, I'm thankful for this Jackson Mill Roundup. I'm thankful for your friendship. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my for my health. I'm thankful these things. I get direct benefit from it through the grace of God. These things that 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 I have received through His grace. I'm so grateful for AA and for my sobriety only through His grace. Well, I'm thankful for these things. Well, the word grateful or gratitude means that when I am grateful, that I am willing to reciprocate. 
to God for what he has gave me that I'm thankful for. In other words, from, from me to be as good to God as God has been to me. In other words, for me to make payment thereof for the things that I'm thankful for. And this is the only way that I can be grateful in Alcoholics Anonymous is to be a servant to Alcoholics Anonymous. I will never pay the interest, much less the principal, on what this program has done for me. Never. It's impossible. It's impossible. And this is deflation. This is deflation. This is carrying on at deflation at depth. The same thing that Bill laid out in the 12 steps. The only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. That's all I have to do. No one ever told me I was an alcoholic and Alcoholics Anonymous. Has anybody ever told you that you were an alcoholic and Alcoholics Anonymous? Uh-uh. You made your own diagnosis. I make my own diagnosis. I can't throw you out of AA and you can't throw me out of AA. This is the way it is. You're just as much of this program as I am. I might have been in there 33 years. You might be here one day. But if you've got the desire to stop drinking, you're just as much of a member as I am. It's not what you did yesterday or what you're going to do tomorrow. It's what you are today that really counts to us. And it's just that way. There's no such thing as throwing someone out of Alcoholics Anonymous. This is an inclusive, not an exclusive fellowship. You know, many times in my life I have said before I started living these 12 traditions, many times I have said to an individual, you know, old Joe, Joe Blow is in Alcoholics Anonymous, he'll never make it. He ain't got what it takes. He's too educated or he's not educated enough. He's the wolf. He won't leave the little red riding hoods alone. He'll never make it. That ain't got anything to do with it. This program is about one thing, and that's alcohol. That's all. Alcoholism. And the only way that a person can be thrown out of Alcoholics Anonymous is for that individual to throw his holding self out. That's the only way. He can, he's the only person that can disqualify himself in Alcoholics Anonymous. He says, that's simple. And what a great thing that is. You know, I don't have time to take anybody's inventory anymore. I, the traditions have taught me that spend all your time taking your own inventory, Wesley, and what a great thing that's been for me. I should always be autonomous, except in matters of affecting other groups or AA as a whole. I should always be self-governed. This is what it means. I've got a doctor's degree in negative thinking. <laughs> I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> I can out-lie, out-cheat, out-steal any of these so-called human beings outside here. These normal people. I know right from wrong. I'm an alcoholic. That's the reason I'm in AA, because I know right from wrong. I know the way that I was living was wrong. And I know I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous today, and the way I live today is right. I know that. And it's up to me to maintain that. We have a little, we have a little sign in a, in a, club room down home it says anything just about right is wrong <laughs> so that don't leave us in a leeway does it hmm? and that's true because you see when I make mistakes when I let other people guide me 
or shove me around, or if I go along with the crowd just because at that particular moment it's convenient. Who am I hurting? I'm hurting myself. I'm destroying what I'm trying to acquire in Alcoholics Anonymous when I, when I do something that I know is not right. I am the one that hears the hounds of heaven bark at four o'clock in the morning, not the persons that go along with me. Uh-uh. I have to listen to that. And so I have found that if I want to be happy, and this is what all this is predicated on, being happy, I have to stand on my own two feet and be counted. I have to make my own decisions. And this is absolutely important if you want to be happy. And this is something that this program tells you. You've got to be autonomous, self-governed. I'm going to come back to number five. Number seven. Every AA group ought to be fully self-supported, declining outside contributions. When you say, what has that got to do with being happy? That's got a lot to do with being happy. You know, for years, I didn't meet my responsibilities. I just wouldn't meet my responsibilities. But if you want to be happy, it is necessary for you and I as individuals to meet our responsibilities. We are members of Alcoholics Anonymous. We decline all outside contributions. It's up to you and I as members of AA to support AA. AA doesn't tell you to give till it hurts. AA tells you to give till it feels good. You know, I used to sit next to a millionaire when I first come to AA, and I had a resentment against this guy. And I sit by him every every meeting just to make this to refresh this uh, this, this resentment because I liked it, you know. <laughs> because you know, he was a millionaire, and every time that basket went by, he would reach in his pocket and he'd pick out a little old black pocketbook and he'd snap it open you'd hear it all over the room and he'd go down like this and he'd pick up a Texas half that's a dime and when that basket went by he dropped that dime in there and I said to myself that tight son of a bitch if he don't put but a dime in there I ain't gonna put nothing and I didn't put nothing either now the question is, who was I hurting? Who was I hurting? <laughs> Me. Because you see, I wasn't meeting my responsibilities. I wasn't meeting my responsibilities to the very same thing that had saved my life. Thank God I found this out. You see, we have a program, and it belongs to you and I. And there's no strings attached. We don't owe nobody nothing. It's yours and my program. And as long as we keep it this way, we will always have our program. But the minute that we let some kind of outside influence come in and we accept contributions from them, they're going to tie some strings to it. And it won't be ours anymore. You know, the world the world wants what you and I have got. And I have to go back to the Oxford movement. I have to go back to the Washingtonians. You know, they didn't last. They got a good start, but they didn't last. And the only way that you and I can keep what we've got 
is for us to meet our responsibilities. Now, I'm not saying what your responsibility is. You know what your responsibility is. And I know what mine is. So, we, as members of Alcoholics Anonymous, meet our responsibilities if we want to be happy. If we don't want to be happy, we just don't meet our responsibilities. That's all. Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry message to alcoholics who still suffer. It doesn't say a thing in the world about nothing but one thing, an alcoholic who still suffers. I've been sober 31 years in this program, and I still suffer every day of my life from alcoholism. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Do you still suffer every day from alcoholism? Are you here tonight to take your medicine for your disease? Do you go to your group each week, each week for the medicine for your disease? That's why I go. Because I suffer from this disease. Well, if you suffer from this disease, it's your responsibility. You know I suffer. And so it's your responsibility every time you see me is to 12-step me. And it's my responsibility every time I see you to 12-step you. You know, everybody in Alcoholics Anonymous needs love. Needs love. You know, I've seen old timers come in the, come into an AA group and sit back on the back row, sweating, absolutely in a state of shock. Had business re- reversals and 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 things that go in the pot. He was in that cycle of life where he hit the bottom, and not one person said one word to him, and he just sat there and suffered. And everybody just bypassed him because, you know, old Joe there, he's a pillar of the, of the group. He's been sober 20 years. He don't need no help. Don't you ever kid yourself. There's no person in Alcoholics Anonymous that don't need love. And a lot of times, I go all over the United States and Canada and around, and people say, well, you know, the old timers are not around anymore. Where are they? Well, they push out, left out, drop out. So what are they? What are they in your community? Have you been showing them love? Did you say to them, Well, you've got it made. You don't need my love anymore. Could be true. It could be true. If you want your old timers back to your group, call them and tell them you love them and you need them. And your group needs them. Come on back and be part of it. We need you. And shower each member of your group with love. Every alcoholic. This is the longevity of Alcoholics Anonymous. We loving each other. You know, a lot of times they say that the, that the, that the new member is the most important member in the room that night. I don't believe that. I think the most disturbed alcoholic in the room is the most important person in that room that night. I don't care who he is. I don't care who he is. What what good am I going to do a new member coming to Alcoholics Anonymous if I don't have all my faculties myself? If I'm in as bad a condition as he is? I can't transmit this program to him. No, and you can't either. So it is our responsibility in this tradition is to love each other, to 12-step each other every time that we see him. And this is the longevity of this program. The longevity of this program is each member of Alcoholics Anonymous loving each other, 12-stepping each other, forming this bond between each other. 
This is it. This is what is the attraction of this program, is, is we loving each other. The AA program was formed, Bill Wilson said, comes from the Oxford group, William James and Dr. Silkworth. The Oxford group was a band of people that was trying to live the philosophy that the first, six, uh, first century Christians lived. It was the greatest love that was ever felt between people. And this is part of this AA program. And love is of, of each other. Christian love toward each other is the main part of this AA program as to whether you and I make it or not. It is our love for each other. Live in unity through the application of these traditions that we have. This is a perfect program. Number 12 says, Anonymity is a spiritual foundation of our traditions. Every mind in us to place principles before personalities. What is the principles of, of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous? Dave told you last night what it was. It's the truth. That's all. It's the principles of it. It's just the truth. The truth sets us free, and that's the only thing. And this is a this is absolutely what we practice, is the truth. And so we always keep the truth between us and other personalities. We never let our, this truth get out between us and other personalities. We keep our principles between personalities. We do not let other principles destroy us, or other personalities destroy us. We live this program and we stay in a position where we can always help our fellow man. This is a program of attraction, not promotion. The best 12-step job that you and I can do is just walk down the streets of our hometown sober with a smile, this AA smile on our lips, that we come from devastation, heartaches, derelicts of society, scum of the earth, what people used to think we are, but we have become whole individuals. And we walk down the streets of our, of our hometown sober, showing people what this program will do through the grace of God. This is the attraction of this program. This program works if we work. We have a total program in this program of Alcoholics Anonymous. We have to embrace each and every one of us. And we have to work each day on it. On page 249 and AA comes of age, let me read this to you. To show you why you have to live this program every day of your life. This was written by Dr. Tebow. He was a great psychiatrist, one of the first. He was a doctor that what was uh, that uh, was Marty Mann was was going to, and and she picked up uh, and he gave her uh, uh, a uh, copy of the original manuscript of the big book. And this is how Marty, the first woman in AA, found her sobriety was through reading this book that Dr. This original manuscript that Dr. Tebow gave her. And he was such a friend to AA, well, some of his writings are in AA Comes of Age. And he says this. He says, It is common knowledge that a return of full-fledged ego can happen at any time. Years of sobriety has no insurance against its reoccurrence. No AA, regardless of his veteran status, can ever relax his guard against the encroachment of a revising ego. 
Recently, one AA writing to another reported that he was suffering, he feared, from halotosis, <laughs> a reference to the smugness and self-complacency which so easily can creep into an individual with years of sobriety behind him. You see, it takes everything that we've got every day of our lives to live this program. Don't cheat yourself. Don't just live one-third of the program. Get your own interpretation. I'll give you my interpretation of a way of life that I can live and be happy. If I had not found, I'm going to be truthful with you, and I'm quite sure Sybil I will tell you the same thing. If I had not found the total program of Alcoholics Anonymous, Recovery, Unity, and Service, and applied it to my life to the best of my ability, I would have never been sober 31 years. I couldn't have made it. It's just that simple. It's taken every bit of it. And I'm going to tell you this, that if you stay sober 31 years or, or 38 years, you've got to do something right if you're a real alcoholic. I'm telling you that. You've got to have a program that's adapted to your life if you want to be happy. It's just that simple. And you have the program. And I have the program. But it's entirely up to me as an individual how much of this program I get. No more, no less. And it's entirely up to you as an individual how much of this program you apply to yourself. There's ten two-letter words that says, if it is to be, it is up to me. The big book says, it works if you work. Just that simple. This is a perfect program. There's a legend that's what's been told of the boy who searched for the wonders of gold. The wonders of gold he saw far away as he looked in the valley at sunrise, he say. And he longed to go down in the valley below, but he lived up on the mountain all covered with snow. And this was a trip that he wanted to make, so he planned by day and dreamed by night of how he would reach this great sign in life. And one morning as the dawn broke through and the valley sparkled with diamonds of dew, he started to climb down the mountainside where the wonders of gold is his golden guide. He traveled all day, all weary and worn, and bleeding feet and clothes that were torn, and finally he entered in this little peaceful valley town, just as the golden sun went down. But lo, he had lost his shining light, for the windows were dark that had once been bright, and tired and hungry and lonely and cold, he yelled, Oh, please, oh, please, won't you show me the windows of gold? And a kind hand touched him and said, Behold, high on the mountain is the windows of gold. For the sun going down in a great golden ball had banished the windows of his cabin so small. Now the kingdom of God, with its great shining light, is like the windows that shine so bright. It's no far distant place somewhere. It's just as close to you and I as a silent prayer. Your search and my search for God will end and begin when we look for God and find Him within, right in here. You see, each is own. You have the material to give you a perfect way of life. You will never perfect it, no, but you can head toward perfection if you will only apply it. If you will only apply it. And I have the same choice. And you have the same choice. And when I came in AA, I said, Where can I find him? Where can I see his only son? Wise men asking, I'm asking still, where is this man of goodwill? 
Is he far away in some distant place ruling unseen from a throne of grace? Is there no place on earth that I might see to give me proof of eternity? I said, if there's a God, show him to me. And now since I've been in the A for this length of time, I said, it is true that I have never seen his face, but his likeness shines forth from every place. The hand of God is everywhere along our life, busy thoroughfare. The things we see and touch and feel... This is what makes God so very real. The silent stars and timeless nights of one of it in our children's eyes, the gossamer wing of a hummingbird, the joy of a kindly word, the autumn spring, the breath of spring, the chirping song the cricket sings, a rosebud in a slender vase, a smile upon a friendly face. Everything, both great and small, we see the hand of God in all. But who can watch a new day birth, or feel a warm life-giving earth, I look at skies through lacy trees, I feel the softness of the breeze, and say they have never felt his grace or looked upon his face. If you have been a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, a true member, and doing the best you can with this program, I'll guarantee you that you will feel his grace and see his face. Thank you for the opportunity of talking to you.